Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Avoid Crisis Podcast. Uh, this is Ray Arellano um, with my host, Alan Plyler. And uh, we've got it uh, continuing in our series on um, end-of-life issues. Uh, and this episode is end-of-life financial planning. Um, Alan, why don't you say hello, and then we're going to introduce our guest, and we're going to jump into some really interesting stuff. Say hi, Alan. Well, hello, Ray, and good to see you again. And amazing that we're uh, at another uh, crisis, avoid crisis uh, episode here. And really happy to have Ed with us today. And uh, nice to meet you, Ed. I've been looking forward to this because um, one of the things that I've heard over and over is um, stories where people have said, wow, we never knew it was going to cost us this much to be in this situation at the end of life for either themselves or their family or other family members. And Really thought it'd be helpful today to have some discussion about how to prepare and uh, really thought it'd be good in this particular series where we've already talked about some of the issues that can happen to individuals and talked about uh, some of those unfortunate circumstances that occur and then really being able to say, well, thinking about that in the whole spirit of avoiding crisis where you think and then you uh, decide, make decisions and act, what should we be thinking about now when it comes to end of life financial planning? So right. uh, welcome here today and looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. So for our audience, um, Ed Morales is uh, um, out of Jacksonville, Florida with the Pinnacle Group. They're a nationwide uh, uh, financial planning uh, group. Um, Ed's been in this industry for decades um although you'd never tell ed, you, 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 there's no way uh welcome to the show ed say a quick hello and then we're going to jump into some questions and things yeah thank you so much ray appreciate it and alan good to see you all right so we had talked earlier with um in-home care specialist we talked with a palliative care doctor and each of them interestingly had said and you really got to be aware of some of the costs and what it's going to cost to do these things. Um, this is a nationwide audience. So I want to cut on, talk on two points to begin with. Um, from what you're seeing and the client, your clients and so on, what are some of the cost parameters that you run into? And how much of this is covered by um, uh, Medicare or uh, Social Security or say other types of government programs? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that there's so many misconceptions around what the, you know, what Medicare or health care will actually address relative to health care expenditures and also what Medicare and what Social Security will pay from an income perspective. And I, I think there's just falsehoods and actually awaiting to that day to come along where it's saying everything is taken care of. And I think, unfortunately, in the financial planning processes, there's so much focus played, you know, really paid on uh, looking at the accumulation phase, you know, accumulating wealth. And there's so there's so little attention that's actually considered around how do you distribute, you know, how do you actually distribute the wealth? And I think that's where there's significant disconnect. I think one of the big drains that we see towards any form of financial planning is is a lack of planning specifically around long-term care illness or long-term care needs. So as you were mentioning palliative care, Specifically along the same lines with long-term care, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it, it is a really deep concern because you see deep attrition specifically because there's no planning done specifically to mitigate the risk, you know, against those situations. It's all going to happen. I think if every one of us were to look at, 
kind of long-term care, we would we would simply say that we know of someone or a family member or a friend in some way or fashion has been impacted by it. Um, and I think the realization and the impact is the severity of the financial burden of that is is astronomical. So I think it's a missing component of that where we're, we're sitting there, let's accumulate as much as we can. But then there's less being talked about how do you distribute that? How do you actually do it? in a very orderly fashion. So I think that's probably some of the, the, the biggest concerns there. So what we're hearing is Medicare, Social Security is not going to come to the rescue. Um, and, and so people are kind of on their own. Um, you know, health insurance generally won't cover a lot of these types of costs or only certain ones, I suppose. Um, you know, your doctor bills and so on. But if you have in-home care needs it kind of falls through the cracks of conventional insurance and as you know ed and i don't know alan you our audience at one time i had my life in health license i was my series 66 like i dabbled in this area for a while and long-term care insurance is the product is the type of policy that covers yeah. these needs right ed yeah. plus i even think today i think there has been so much uh, the the insurance industry has responded i think long-term care insurance per se has become you know it a lot of insurance carriers have pulled out of the market um just because of the un, un the lack of planning per, per se or predictability of the number of claims that happened so what you've seen is a response specifically for the industry of looking at long-term care, but embedding it in other forms of insurance planning. So where they specifically look at products like annuities or life insurance, where they actually embed it into those products and that becomes more cost-effective and more cost-efficient. It is. Uh, so that those are some of the things that you're seeing. What is the response from an industry that basically had uh, really, you know, this large block of business that basically where there was so much individual uh, long-term care that was being purchased, it ended up basically that the claims exceeded the amount of premiums that the insurance companies were taking out. So they had to look at an alternative to that. Right. And I think that's a function of people are living longer. People are living longer with needs, with illness, and the cost of care is going up. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard of people spending 25, 30 grand a month to have in-home care um, in certain situations. Yeah, there is right now, uh, one of the things that has happened, and it's something that all the listeners should be aware of, is that right now about, um, there's a movement, it started with the state of Washington, that basically they're actually imposing or suggesting or they're mandating that uh, long-term care be put in place specifically in how it's being paid. They're actually doing a payroll tax uh, in the state of uh, Washington. It was uh, 0.58% on payroll. So essentially it's a mandate that if you don't, and it only has a coverage limit of like $36,000, where the average national cost is about 115. So it's something to be aware of because right now there's about, about 30% of the states in the country are looking at what happened in the state of Washington it looks to be slowly migrating in some fashion to California, Pennsylvania, New York. Those are the kind of the states of that. And I think from a planning perspective, a lot of financial advisors and, and a lot of your listeners uh, certainly should be aware of, you know, what uh, what is the response to that? How do you plan for that? And of course, some of the things that the states are allowing is specifically for individuals to opt out where they can secure their own coverage and not necessarily have to deal with, 
specifically with that payroll tax. So again, what you see here is just not a, just from a planning perspective, you're also seeing from a national perspective, the concern around long-term care planning or the lack thereof. You'll see various institutions, municipalities, government, if you will, kind of stepping in and saying, what do we need to do to do this? So that that should alert everyone that there's an opportunity in your planning process to look at how long-term care can actually mitigate some of the risk associated with the high cost of expenses for, for care. You know, Ed, take, for example, somebody that's in their 20s, uh, somebody in their 30s, someone in their 40s, someone in their 50s. What kind of steps should they be taking at each one of those stages of life if they haven't taken any action at this point? What should they be doing from a financial planning perspective to anticipate this cost? So, you know, it's a great question, Alan, because typically when you think about the planning phase, especially those younger years that you have that, uh, you know, you've got the whole, you got your whole life ahead of you. The thing is, is that's when you start looking about, you know, as even as we look at the cat our cast today is avoiding the crisis. So you can avoid the crisis and mitigate some of the costs associated with the crisis if you start doing it earlier in your life. So it is kind of the wait and see. And I've got time. And, and that's clearly done. But, er, you know, every year, five years, decade, two decades that go by the cost of actually how do you mitigate these risks? How do you use hedging? how do you leverage strategies become more and more costly? You can still do it. So I would certainly recommend in, in, no matter what stage of life that you are, as you're looking at your planning of investments, as you're looking to accumulate wealth, certainly also be mindful of how do you protect that wealth? Um, so I think it's just so important to be able to take advantage of that. Well, well certainly in your younger years, that's for sure. Ed, can you give us a high level? What is long-term care insurance to the, you know, to the average person, a quick, summary death what what makes it different from other types of insurance it, it, it's dealing with specifically where there's an ailment or an illness uh, there is some loss of some ambulatory you know skills that you have you don't have to be in your 50s 60s 70s or 80s or beyond that to actually um, you know um, have benefits from long-term care but it is as it sounds it is it is care for a long period of time for a longer period of time the important thing, and this is kind of a stereotype that exists with long-term care, that you've got to be hospitalized or you've got to be in a home to do that. Th those, those years have moved on a long, long time ago. This is about where you need care to the extent where you can actually be in your home, someone actually caring for you. It could, it could simply be that there is not a chronic, you know, a chronic illness or chronic condition. It could be something where you're basically... Um, um, you're laid up for a long period of time because of whatever reason it may be. So long-term care is providing benefits. You pay a premium for it, and, and but you are able to, to, to get a benefit for that that actually will in turn pay, pay a benefit for the care that's necessary. And the care can be where somebody is coming in who, who, is, a, who is a certified care professional to take care of you. Um, could be somebody that is... Um, um, that is a caretaker um, that, or caregiver for you as well. So there's a lot of different options that are available that now insurance companies give options and to work with. So, it, but it's simply um, ready your question. It is providing, there's a premium, you get coverage, you get a benefit to take care of needs that you may have. So. Yeah. And, and my memory from way back when I had my licenses, there are six activities of daily living, what they call ADLs, mm -hmm. and I think you need to have two 
to trigger the coverage, right? Mm-hmm. Most of them that way. So it's all different, but by and large, it's usually around two. Yes. Okay, and the, and the six of them, just for our listeners, do you know them off the top of your head? If not, I got them written down because I mean, I don't research. have them off the top of my head. Okay, but... I got. I, so it's yeah. it's for our listeners. It's bathing, yeah, dressing, eating, transferring. So that's moving from one location to another, toileting, and continence. Yeah. So if you have problems being able to take care of these, any. The, the two or three activities of daily living, a long-term care policy could kick in for to help pay for in-home care or even if you're at a facility for this type of care that you'd need to, to continue living your life uh, you know, yeah. comfortably. And, and I think about it right to your point there, what, what's really interesting. I mean, this is not, we're looking at things from a planning perspective and these are all uh, these are solutions that are available um, that you're able to, it's all about leverage. It is about, it's like, how do you leverage one asset? And a lot of times they, you, you know, you don't use the asset and you can actually get the asset refunded back to you. So, so it's really important to know that this is just a strategy. It is, it, it's not so much what they call it, but it's the benefit of. So what I really recommend because of the fact that it is, it is long-term care planning that goes into, this is simply to look at, I've accumulated resources and wealth, and how? Do, what are the risks? What are the things that are going to be impacting the most in the future? So when you look at end of life financial planning, you want to make sure what you've planned for is still viable and is still available for the next generation and for the needs that you have to protect the things that you've accumulated. That's right. P- people don't save and accumulate wealth so they can spend it on healthcare for the last year and a half of their life yet so many people do end up doing that and when you're at that you know toward those later years and 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 in poor health it's almost impossible to get this coverage at that time right that gets yeah, that's, a, that's, that, that's a very big concern I, I mean obviously when you need it the most you can't get it so that's right. where to ray to your point getting it uh any as alan referenced earlier getting it more planning and looking at those options where you're younger, um, it, it certainly provides you with a lot more different options to consider. Yeah. 30s would be great. 40s, they better get moving. By 50s, you're kind of a little bit getting late to the game, it sounds like. 50s is still good, but I, it, it's, uh, yeah. you know, when, once you start saying, hey, listen, I need to, and, you know, one of the biggest concerns that we see is, is not so much for those that have accumulated wealth, but it's, it's actually their parents, it is how do we care for our parents and and what you'll see and we've seen this many many times that assets have been depleted specifically because they're caring because they're doing the loving and and kind thing to do is caring for their parents but their parents are not properly protected so what happens is we see we see that that is an area that um that that that's very volatile because they they're needing to take some of the assets they've accumulated to care to care for their parents because of their health concerns wow that, that's a that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, so- you know, one of the things too, when we're just talking about the cost, um, the mean per capita medical spending in the last twelve months of life in the U.S. is really high. Um, it's around eighty thousand dollars. So if you just think about it, um, it this is eighty thousand dollars of cost that that if you haven't done any kind of planning for, and that's just today's cost, this isn't you know where we're gonna be in 10 years. Um, and if you just think about the way medical costs have risen, and so let's just say it's gonna be 100,000 
how many people are prepared to have an additional hundred thousand um, ready for that moment? Uh, probably very few. Very you know I mean? few. And even if they are, Alan, to your point, I think that in that context, it's striking a check for six figures, not one year, but every year for five years, if you will. Um, and, it, and it's going to be a greater amount than that. It's uh, you, you're just not prepared for that. So mm-hmm. it's just so it's so important to be able to look at that and to um, to make sure you're, you're putting those things in place um, and, you know, exploring it. These are. Again, as I started off with, we spend a lot of time on building and building and building, and we spend very little time looking on protecting and protecting, protecting. So, and a lot of times this is not necessarily about, you know, well, I've got to, I've got to pay more when individuals and, you know, when proper financial planning is done, we're we're always looking at essentially how do we reposition or repurpose some of those assets so that as we are concerned about market volatility, we're also concerned about the the inherent risk outside of the market, which is healthcare risks. You know, I mean, the most tragic thing to do is to accumulate a lot of wealth, but you're not healthy. So, mm-hmm. and you know, health is everything. So, the the big issue there is looking at, um, you know, how do I mitigate that risk and just have the proper planning to do so. So it's, um, yeah. I, I like how you put that. Ed, accumulate, protect, distribute when it comes to your wealth and that distribution happens partly while you're alive and yeah. it happens. Then the big distribution happens when you pass. Um, we talked a little bit about, about long-term care. Mm-hmm. Um, let's touch real briefly, just cause I think it's an important topic. Uh, could have its whole own episode just on life insurance. Yeah. Um, the difference between term versus perm and you know, how that plays in end of life issues. Obviously, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, stage four, you can't get insured, right? So same concept. You need to get it earlier on in life. Tell us about term versus perm and what people should think about with life insurance. Term is a great, uh, great solution for a short duration. Um, The so where there is a specific need or debt uh, within a limited period of time, Term is always an excellent tool for that. Um, but in practicality, uh, um, insurance companies, 1%, uh, 1% of all the death benefit claims that are, played by, that are paid out by insurance companies are in term. So the re- reality is most term policies expire um, before it's actually before the benefits are paid. So that, that is a, that's a common denominator with that. But nonetheless, term does have an extraordinary, you know, very practical place specifically when you look at those ebbs and flows of your life, you know, that you have the necessary coverage to cover specific debt, whether it's for a business or whether it's for personal. So that's one. Uh, the other forms of insurance, um, they're, they're more in the line of what I would kind of categorize as permanent, uh, permanent insurance, where they, uh, that's where you're seeing most of the 99% of the, the, the benefits that are paid, you know, globally, certainly here in the United States is, um, is coming from permanent insurance. And there's, there's different variations, but typically in some form of permanent insurance, it has a death benefit. It has some mechanism where it's building up a value inside the contract. How that contract is built can be based on an interest rate, can be based on a guaranteed um, uh, basis from the insurance company. So there's different variations. In some cases, they're variable where there's uh, what one would consider sub accounts where there's like almost like investment accounts affiliated with it, where you 
can select uh, either aggressive, conservative, more moderate or um, types of options with a contract. But the most important thing about both, broadly speaking, contracts, term insurance is for a very specific period of time. Permanent insurance is there as it sounds. It's for the permanent allocation. So to the time that's needed. So and typically in, in generational or estate planning purposes, permanent insurance is always used uh, to do that. Um, any discussion about uh, beneficiaries on these policies? Beneficiaries is a big deal, Ray. I, and it's it, that's beneficiaries is, is a big, big thing across the board. Even in, in our conversation, as we look at financial planning at the end of life, so much is done in accumulation, a little bit about distribution. But one of the things that we see time and time again that, that is missed is specific, specifically who are going to be the benefactors of this? Have you had the conversation? <clears throat> Do they know where everything is at? So the estate planning piece of it is not just about not just about the assets, but it's about the intentions that you have specifically and how you want and who you want it to go to. What we find time and time again is that the next generation, the kids, family, friends, they have no idea that this is forthcoming and they're not prepared uh, to be able to handle the landscape of those resources that are coming to them, whatever it may be. <clears throat> so I think you it's know, important that those conversations yeah. from a planning perspective is just not happening with your advisor, with yourself. It's also recognizing that you've got to bring other family into that, specifically if they're going to be the, the beneficiaries of that. We typically see that beneficiaries uh, are limited just to primary beneficiaries. There's no contingent beneficiaries. So it's just really important that you kind of live out what the beneficiary, um, you, know, you know, points would be. You know, one thing that's, uh, I think, kind of helpful sometimes is just to give an example of something that you've experienced. I know, Ray, we talked before about uh, issues from beneficiaries. Uh, Ed, maybe you can talk about some situations where end-of-life care uh, ended up being an absorbent cost that no one had prepared for. Maybe just give a couple examples of, of something that's happened that kind of illustrates just things that you should be thinking about or what potentially can happen. Sometimes a real-life example really brings it home. Real life example. I mean, some of the more prominent families in the United States, I mean, that uh, that we, we know of where um, where they didn't do proper planning and, and some of them are baseball owners. And um, and what you you know, what you found is that basically they didn't do any estate planning. And what they what they find is that at the time of death, 50 to 60 to even 70 percent of their entire wealth was actually. Uh, was paid out in nine months because of uh, because of federal state taxes. Um, one of the things, so this state planning, this this end of life planning, is just not for. It's for all of us. It is not. It is not. It, you know, you can have um, and been blessed with a certain amount of you know things that you've been able to accumulate. It's important. It, it is what your intentions are with that, but also knowing that even if you have you know if you're high net worth and you have extraordinary wealth. It is one of the things that's happening right now. And I know that, um, you know, my, my friends on the call here that are CPAs in 2026, there's a sunset that's coming about. You guys can talk about more than I can, but these right now, the estate planning, you know, uh, the side of estates where they are right now, in some fashion, it's going to it's gonna come down. So the implications of that is meaning where, well, maybe you had this exemption at a larger amount. Well, maybe it's only going to be, I don't know, maybe it's only going to be 5 million. So, 
what's going to happen here is the guys and gals, the families that were saying, I'm okay because the exemption is taking me on forever. That's going to be changing. And if families and, and, and individuals are not looking and starting to have those discussions today, uh, you know, you've got to have those plans in place well before the sunset in 2026. It's got to be looked at now. So, so I think it's just really important to look at, you know, what are, why does insurance work? Because it's a leveraged asset. It's an asset that is something that can be used, that you buy, that you can repurpose wealth that you have and use it uh, and still maintain control of that, but do it uh, for as many times it says as pennies on the dollar. Yeah, that's a great point about the sunset of the current uh, we have extraordinarily high, unprecedented high limits on the estate tax, and that all resets 2026. So there's a lot of planning that should be done um, over the next few years in uh, preparation for that. Um, I want to make a really quick point, Ed. You, you, you kind of reminded me there on the, the, the beneficiary and the life insurance side. Yes. Lis- listeners, do not make your trust the beneficiary of your life insurance policy. Repeat, do not make your trust the beneficial life insurance policy. Agreed. <laughs> right? I mean, Agreed. We've seen this happen. I, I, I got a call a couple months ago about this very issue, and it, it, it's just, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. Have, it's have, a mess. Have, have your advisors tell you later why. Yeah, it, the, the issue is what we also see is the estate, where they make the estate the benefactor. And, of course, when you make the estate the benefactor of an – see, the thing about life insurance rate, which you're getting at, is that – life insurance supersedes probate. In other words, it's not going to go to probate. It goes directly to the beneficiary. When you put your estate on there as beneficiary, your estate goes to probate. And then basically, then you're dealing with how distribution is going to be. And and, and then what happens is, is that you'll have a lot of individuals that may be affiliated with the family, could be a relative. And, And now we get into all of the dance about who's better entitled, who should have got it. And it's uh, it's sad enough that death occurs, and, and, and you know it, it's 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 certainly the it, it is the way of life, but it becomes even more <clears throat> specifically sadful when you see the the bickering and the disjointed behaviors of of families, and it happens all the time, where there's just misunderstandings, and there's everyone is laying claim to he loved me better and she loved me better than you, and it just becomes and it's so unnecessary. So you're I think the advice there is at all costs, please don't ever put your estate. You know, you you bring up an interesting point. And I just think in general that maybe we should talk about this. I think that in a lot of the effort to avoid crisis, you need to get the right advice. And I know Ray is a CPA. You've uh, given tremendous advice to people and helped them to do planning. Ed, I'm sure in all the work that you've done in financial planning, and it has uh, really helped a lot of people as well. And I think it's just a point that, you know, you need the advice of an attorney at times, you need the advice of a CPA, and you need the advice of a financial planner to help prepare and avoid crisis. Um, Maybe, Ed, you can uh, give a little bit of detail on how to contact you if any of the listeners are interested in learning more of your services. Yeah, I I like to couple on what you just said there. I think it's so essential that when you're in a planning phase, I mean, none of us are mutually exclusive. I think that to do proper planning, you, you, you need to have a good CPA, you need to have a good attorney, and you need to have a good financial advisor. To the extent that any one of us, any of us would say, well, I do it all, 
Um, I don't I don't think that they're I don't think it's prudent and wise, but I think to it's certainly important to be able to look at a multidiscipline approach with the right professionals to do that. Plus, in getting individuals that are listening, that are just not knocking on the door and coming up with an immediate solution after a five minute conversation. <clears throat> it really should be where you're listening and uh, and you're feeling comfortable. There's a lot of us out there and there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, there's also a lot out there that are very transactionally based and we would we would encourage you to stay away from them. Talk to people that you're comfortable with. Talk with people that have the professional designations and those that are even after all that, that you know that they care about what you care about. So to get a hold of me again, my name is Ed Morales. Uh, my uh, my email address is probably best and it's Edgar, E-D-G-A-R dot Morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S. That's at Pinnacle which is P-I-N-N-A-C-L-E-I-F-S, insurancefinancialservices.com. Sounds great. Thank you, Ed. So I, I did have one last area I want to touch on. We were about to turn the corner to wrap, and I went back through my notes to see if we covered everything. And we missed one one point. I just want to try to squeeze in if we can in the last couple of minutes. Um, we didn't talk about like bank accounts, brokerage accounts, qualified plan accounts. I mean, qualified plan, meaning like IRAs, 401ks, that kind of stuff. Um, from a financial planning perspective, you know, avoid crisis, analyze, decide, act. What should our listeners think about with regard to bank accounts, brokerage accounts, qualified plan accounts? So I, I think what's interesting about that, number one, I think, and the qualified sense, which is, you know, obviously your IRA accounts, your, 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 Pension accounts, uh, I would say anything that uh, has any tax deferred mechanism in most states, obviously, they well, first of all, those those products enable you to have a beneficiary. So I think it's very important to do that uh, with your bank accounts, uh, a TOD, a transfer on death, if not in place, should be in place. Sometimes we see a lot of times where there is just one individual or, in fact, there is just a husband and wife. So it's just very important that you put a TOD on all of those types of bank accounts, brokerage accounts. They all allow you to do that. They all have specific means to be able to have, you know, the the assets with that. In the absence of not having a beneficiary, as already has been mentioning, within those contracts, um, and you know, then it's actually deferred to the estate. Of course, we know it's about probate. Same holds true with bank accounts and brokerage accounts. If you don't have a TOD, if it's not noted in some form of planning from an estate planning wills and, and trusts and so forth. The reality is that those accounts can be locked until actually the court system actually opens it up for you. If somebody stands up, there's a representative to the estate. So those things become a little bit more convoluted and complex. So the, 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 the thought is there is on a bank account, a brokerage account, certainly a minimum is looking at a TOD. Anything on those other qualified accounts, they do permit for beneficiaries. I would certainly suggest to the audience that you check that to make sure you have the right beneficiary on there. So you have, and you have a contingent beneficiary. So, so the real neat thing about those other assets that are qualified in most states and a lot of states, those assets are protected. They're credit proof. So there's a lot of opportunity with those assets. Uh, we see a lot of times in a planning that they utilize those types of vehicles um, specifically because uh, they are they're protected. Uh, those are the assets protected from creditors and so forth. Wow, so many things to think about. Alan, any final questions for Ed as we're wrapping up here? Well, I think we've certainly touched on a lot of these issues. And I really think that, again, to remind uh, listeners that 
this is something that is going to be something you will be facing. So uh, it's really good to be thinking about it now and thinking about how you can really plan ahead and avoid a crisis because this end of life cost is one that's very difficult to avoid. Um, and it's one that you should be planning for. And I think uh, with the assistance of a financial planner like Ed, I think it's really going to be um, something that will help to avoid crisis. And I hope our listeners really um, are going to take that to heed. And um, it's been really enjoyable to have you here, Ed. We enjoy uh, having guests that know so much more than we do and can help our listeners. And uh, really appreciate the, all the comments today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And, you know, the, the end of life crisis, it unfortunately is usually the responsibility is, is borne by others, not ourselves, because we end up actually at some point uh, passing. And then what's left is what the families and friends have to contend with. So a lot of this is about just what we're looking at, but also the impact that this is going to make on those we really care for. So but it's it's been a joy, pleasure, guys. Thank you for inviting me in. Um, enjoy the questions and, and certainly if any listeners have any questions for me and so forth, I'll be available to assist as, as best I can. Sounds great. That's edgar.morales at pinnacleifs.com. Thanks again, Ed. Thanks, Alan. Um, our next episode to our listeners, we're going to be talking with the trust and estate attorney about uh, things that you want to have uh, legal documents and legal issues uh, when we talk about end of life uh, uh, considerations. Until then, uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye bye.